right, so I'm excited about this new semester. I've been thinking about this new series that we're doing. What we do at Challenge is we do these series about eight weeks, six to eight weeks, where we walk through different key things that people that are in college need to know about following Jesus and about living a life that's really going to matter. And so we always have these little handy-dandy notebooks, Blue's Clues, anyone? I don't know, um, that, that we you can bust out, and you can follow along and take notes, and you can tell we use a, we like the Bible around here, and so we really believe it applies to your everyday life. And this new series, what we're doing, we're, we're, we called it Stand Out, Learn to Live Different. And what we'll be doing is taking little chunks of First Peter and just walking the book that Peter wrote to a, a church, several churches, and we're going to be walking through how what Peter said about living a life that's different than the world. And so when I think about standing out, I think about a, a few things. I think about going against the flow. I think about fish, if a bunch of fish are swimming this way, you're that one fish that's like, no, dog, I'm going this way. Um, C.S. Lewis, he said this, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. A lot, that's, that's a lot of what's happening in the world. There's a lot of people that are going in this direction, and it's not necessarily the direction they, need, they should be headed in. And it seems like the people that are really living for God, that are really living for what matters most, are going against the flow. They're, they're standing out. They're different. And there's a guy um, that I think of when I think of someone that stands out and lives different um, is a guy I think of. His name is Tim Tebow. Anyone heard of him? Okay. You may love him. You may hate him. He's kind of, he's kind of a meme in a way where he, he's, he's so like nice and kind. And it almost comes across a little cheesy, and I get that. But I've always been a Tim T big Tim Tebow fan because he's willing to stand up for what matters most. He was successful in all sorts of things. He plays great football. He's great at football. He's really good looking, okay? You know, I, I gotta admit it. I, I look at his muscles and I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, but, but and, and he's taken, ladies. He just, he just got engaged to Miss Universe, so, so don't, don't get any ideas. So, um, but man, he started, he, you know, the pre-football players, I got some football players back there, right? Okay. You know, the, the pre-game ritual where you pray? He didn't invent that. They've been doing that for years, okay? But now they named it T-Bowing, okay? That's how much this guy stands out, is, is they, they named it T-Bowing. I remember when I was in college, this is going to date me a little bit, Tim Tebow played, a, he was at University of Florida, he played University of Oklahoma, and I, it was a year that he gave the speech. He said, no one is going to work harder than me. I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And he's like crying. And I was actually at a conference speaking about missions and evangelism. And I was like doing the same thing, crying. And someone came up to me. He's like, you talk like Tim Tebow. And I was like, yes, I'll take it. I can retire now. <laughs> But I remember watching that game because I went to University of Oklahoma and I remember being torn because I love, I went to University of Oklahoma, so I love my Sooners, but then I also have a man crush on Tim Tebow, and so I'm like, I don't know who to, who to vote, you know, root for. I don't know what to do. Um, but what makes him stand out is not any of that stuff. It's, it's his commitment to follow God. It's his humble and sincere love to follow Jesus no matter what. And he's been ridiculed. He has, the, he has 
more haters than, than most football players. And he has more fans like me that love him. Um, but it's not really even because of his T-bowing or, or that he put John 316 on his eye black. And 94 million people Googled it when he, um, when he put John 316. So that's a lot of people that wanted to know what John 316 is. Look it up if you don't know. Check it out. But I thought that was awesome. And so I, I love all that stuff about him. And I love that he's just so passionate. But man, the thing that makes him stand out is he didn't need the football career. He didn't need, which it didn't last long, if you kept track of his career. The NFL career, it didn't last too long. But he didn't need all that because after he retired, or he just wasn't good enough to keep playing, he, um, he started a missions organization. He speaks at conferences. He writes books. He's serving Jesus, serving his guts out for, for Jesus and making a difference. And I came across this video um, of what he's doing. Up, He's not playing football, but what is he up to now? Let's check out this video of what Tim Tebow is up to now that he is not playing football. The first trip I went on overseas with my dad was to the Philippines and on this missions trip, what really changed my life was when we went to a, a remote jungle and I meet Sherwin and he has his feet on backwards. He was born that way and I knew after meeting him what I want to do with my life is to fight for people that can't fight for themselves. And then about a month ago, I'm in our offices, I'm talking to our team and Brandy runs into the other room and she says, you won't believe this and she's just is bawling and she shows me a picture. We had a boy named Aldrin who was 11 years old, barely walk into the hospital with a leg deformity and I said, Brandy, that looks just like Sherwin. And then hearing Aldrin's story about what he had been through, about how he had been bullied, how he had been neglected, how it would be an easy surgery if he was younger, but he's already 11 years old. So our surgeons come together, they put together a plan and they have a surgery. And four hours later, Aldrin's legs are, are straight. So our doctors say he's going to have the ability to walk tall for the first time in his life. Kumbaan ma'am, putong reoperahan siya, pero okay lang kaya ang mga, ano, mga staff nila ma'am, kanang gahatagod ano, para ma-encourage kami. Tapos kwapo kayo sila mag-atiman ma'am, tamua. Ma'am, pero maka-encourage ko sa ilaha ma'am kayo kanang, kanang, sila kung naghatag sa kuha kanang, kaano ba, kanang strengths, nga ano, kanang, ang ginoo daw. Kabaloog mag, kabaloog mag idea. Siya ang nag-aano sa, sa mga tao kung ang saang ka, maayo para sa yaha daw. Nga na, siya ang magbuot para sa inyong doktor. Ginagay daw sa, sa ginoo nga kung ang saang maayo nga para sa iya. That's a boy that not only will be able to really walk for the first time in his life, but he also rededicated his life to Christ and he knows the purpose for his life and his mom and him walked away from the hospital being changed and so the hospital knew how much that Sherwin meant to me and why we started in the first place so they sat Aldrin down and they told him why I was in, inspired to start this and where the inspiration came from and he wanted to say something. Thank you Sherwin, one life truly can change another. Because I look at him and his name's Aldrin but I'm reminded of Sherwin and why we're doing this, and why it matters so much. He's doing something with his life. He's living different. He's choosing not to 
pursue success in the eyes of the world. He's choosing to see needs in the world and make a difference. Uh, I, I, come, I think about, there's this verse in Titus. This is the old King James, Titus 2.14. It says, he gave himself for us, which is talking about Jesus, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, which is sin, and purify us unto himself, a peculiar people. It's even a weird word. Peculiar people. I want you to circle that word peculiar. Zealous for good works. That's what I want to be. I want to be a peculiar person. I want to be the kind of person that's just different than the world. There's something weird about that guy, but in a good way, in a, in a, in a God way, okay? There's something, something weird about this guy, some peculiar. We want to be that kind of person. And I think about Tim Tebow, and, you know, he had a, it wasn't like his career, his football career wasn't, you know, it was, had its ups and downs. And then I think about a guy like Tom Brady. Any Tom Brady fans in here? Okay, that's what I that's what I thought. Okay, uh, there's one. Okay, cool. I mean, he's the goat. Okay, he's the greatest of all time. He's he's awesome at at football, but but just people don't like him that much. Okay, hope he doesn't listen to the recording, but. <laughs> But I think it's because he hasn't put the most important thing where it needs to be. He's put football as the most important thing. And let's just check out this quick little video about his life. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. This is what you always wanted. You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is, me, I thank God. It's gotta be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew, I wish I knew. Um, I wish I knew that I know. Yeah, I know. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight is, is who the life that you can live is different. What is that more that you're looking for? And we're going to look at that. It's, it's Christ. Christ is that more that you, that you may be looking for in your life. Let me pray, and then we're going to jump right into First Peter. Father, thank you so much for your word and just the way you've inspired some of these this some of these thoughts I have, but most of all, that you've inspired your word. And so I pray that as we look at it, that you would um, help us to see clearly um, who you are and what you've done for us, and that we could choose to live lives that, that really matter a million years from now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so we're going to jump right in. 1 Peter 1.1, right from the beginning, it says, This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And I actually said those right, if you're wondering. Um... This may sound like a very fairly standard. If you read the Bible a lot, this may sound like kind of like a standard introduction, okay? Greetings, you, you know, stuff. But there's some key phrases in there that actually are packed with meaning. I could give whole sermons, don't worry, I won't, on each of these words. The first one I want you to circle is chosen people. There's a phrase, chosen people. When, when, when you become a Christian, you become one of God's chosen people, in the old, and this was significant because these people were Gentiles. They were not Jewish. And in the Old Testament, the Israelites were God's chosen people. That means God chose them and God poured out his favor on them. God led them through the wilderness. God opened the Red Sea. God helped them in so many ways. God was with them. Every, all the privileges, all the promises of God were for these Israelites, for the Jewish people. And now if you are in Christ... It's open to anyone. So if you're a follower of Christ, you are a chosen person. You are part of God's chosen people. And there's actually 3,000 promises in the Bible that are designed for God's chosen people. You can look them up. 3,000 promises. And 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, to the glory of God through us. So Christ makes it so every promise, you, you get that blessing of being a chosen per person. The other thing I see is the word foreigners. Okay, circle the word foreigners if you want, if you, if you care to. Circle the word foreigners. What does that mean? Now, these people were actually, it doesn't mean these people weren't actually from these locations. It means that something happened when they became a Christian. Something different happened in their life. It's actually a very powerful statement. And sometimes the Bible was, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so what, something to do if you ever want to find out what a word means is look it up in the original Greek. And this is the original Greek. It should be on the screen. This is what it means. It means a sojourner, foreigner, literally someone, someone passing through, but still with personal relationship with the people in that locale. So if you are a Christian, this world is no longer your home. You are a foreigner. You are just passing through. This world, some people need to put that on when you're having a rough day. You need to put that on your home screen, on your phone, and it just needs to say, this world is not my home. And so that, that concept has really helped me. I've had to put a note to self. This world is not my home. We're just passing through. This life is preparation for the next. Imagine you're moving across the country. You're moving somewhere really cool like Texas or something. I don't know. And, and you had $50,000 that you've saved up. And you're going to buy a house. You're going to use that as a down payment for your house. And so you got your U-Haul. You're driving across the country. And you stop at a Motel 6. And you, you get in the Motel 6. And you're like, oh, this TV is whack. Let's go to Costco. Let's spend the 10000 get the $10,000 LED flat screen. You, you pimp out that Motel 6. You make, you spend all $50,000, your down payment that should have been for your home, you spend it all for that one night in the Motel 6. Is that smart? No. And that's what most people do by investing in this life. They invest in, in things that in this life, their worldly success, when really they have, they can invest in something that's going to matter for eternity. One night or your whole life. 
Matthew 6, 19 and 21, it says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Well, that's different. That's different than what the world will tell you. The world will tell you, be successful, rake up all the goods you can, look good, feel good, have the goods. That's what the world will tell you. It's just, just get yours. But the context of 1 Peter is actually written to a church that's facing persecution, that's facing death, that's facing people being thrown to the lions. He's writing to people that have to make a choice whether God is really real or not. Because when, when you have a gun to your head, or when you're about to be thrown to the lions, they didn't have guns back then, when you're about to be thrown to the lions, you, your Christianity can't just be a feel-good Christianity, a shallow Christianity. It has to be real. You have to be convinced that this stuff is really real. If, this, if the gospel is not real, if God did not send Jesus to die, become a man, and rise from the dead for our sins, if he didn't give us his word to follow and obey, then let's all, let's all just go home, okay? We don't need, we can get plenty of motivation from YouTube, YouTube videos or motivational speakers, whatever. We, we need reality, and, and that's that, when you believe that, so this, this whole letter was written to, to bolster the faith of this church that was in the, in the midst of the worst persecution you could imagine. And so when we read through this letter, even in our life groups, we're going to be discussing this. I, I really pray we get away from some of our shallow American Christianity, that we get real. We get to the point where we really believe we're really willing to die for Jesus. Like I can say, tell you right now, I would, if you put a gun to my head right now and said, do you follow Jesus? I would say yes. I am willing to die for this because this is worth it. But most Christians, most Americans, honestly, are what I call practical atheists, okay? They, they, they may, even Christians, they, they, they may say they're a Christian, they may believe in Jesus or some, their version of Jesus, and they just go through life as if God doesn't exist. But, but as, there's, a, there's a, a faith, there's a real Christianity, a real relationship with God that you can have that can change every single thing about your life. And so I want that for every one of you. It may sound crazy, but there's really only one type of Christianity. There's real Christianity. And that's, that's following Jesus with your whole life and learning to experience him on a real daily basis. C.S. Lewis said this. I like C.S. Lewis, by the way. He said, Christianity of false is of no importance. And if true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So C.S. Lewis said it before I did. <laughs> he said, man, if this is real, this changes everything. And so let's check out, there's a guy, another guy I love. Um, his name's Francis Chan. He gave this little illustration of give, emphasizing this idea of how long forever is and how we can invest in that. Let's check out that video. Man, what am I going to look forward to at the end? I'm going to bring an illustration that, this is like the first illustration I did. It was 20 years ago, but I can't think of a better way to, to explain it. Um, I actually didn't use a rope back then. I used a, remember, a, remember computer paper when uh, it was all stuck together and it had the holes on the side that you had to peel off? Remember that? I remember getting a, a roll, and some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, which is crazy to me. But... Uh, <laughs> 
because that was the best, you know, and, um, and it never worked right because they're rolling things, but, uh, but I, I, had, I remember being a youth pastor, and I put uh, that computer paper all the way around the room, and, uh, but I'm going to use a rope now because I can't find that computer paper. Um, imagine this rope, okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever, okay, just imagination, pretend it goes around the world a few times, it doesn't, it ends at the rock, but uh, Let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. <laughs> and you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? about this what about this what about what about all this stuff it's just it's crazy to me because because the bible teaches that what i do during this little red part determines how i'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever and and so why would i spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible enjoying myself as much as i can Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy, and I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God because when I face him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth, and it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I look. I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now. Just to enjoy right now. Not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb, it doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying down here. It's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's just this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. He goes, I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line, and I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just going to, I'm straining. He goes, I'm straining forward. I'm like stretching forward for that mark. I'm going to pass this thing. I'm going to live this out, and I'm going to face him. I'm going to come before the judges, and he's going to hand me that trophy. He goes, I'm going to get it. And I haven't gotten there yet. He goes, but you better believe I'm using every muscle, exerting every bit about me, because I'm going to pass that line well. So your first point on your handout is live confidently. 
Because God has chosen you. You remember you're a chosen person. You're part of God's chosen people. And then you need to learn to develop an eternal perspective. And this is just from the first verse, okay? Live confidently and then develop an eternal perspective. Let's move on to verse 2. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. There's that chosen thing again. And his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. I love this phrase. It says, his spirit has made you holy. How many of you guys in here would say, I am holy? Okay, this is true. If you're a Christian, this is true of you. His spirit has made you holy. That just boggles my mind. Honestly, when I think, I don't feel holy, but because of Christ, I am made holy. His spirit makes me holy. And he changes me. It says, by the blood of Christ. Another translation puts it this way. It says, through the sanctifying work of the spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So in the Old Testament, when people were getting their sins atoned for, is the word they, they talked about, was they would kill a lamb, and they would use the blood, and they would sprinkle the blood on people to, to illustrate what Christ was going to do. And so Jesus actually died on the cross for our sin. He took the penalty that we deserved. When we sin, what we do, what we're doing is we're defiling ourselves and we are making ourselves dirty and we are guilty before a holy God. But Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sin. And when he died on the cross, he washed us. So when someone says washed in the blood, that means that we are for completely cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That is the most precious thing. The blood of Christ is the most precious thing that you could be purchased with. And so Jesus died on the cross for your, in your place. You were the one that should have died, but Jesus died instead of you. And Jesus' blood is what, stand, what cleanses us and makes us holy. There's so much rich theological truths in there. I could spend a whole message just on this, just on the blood of Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, First, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So Jesus can cleanse you and make you holy. And then there's another phrase in there that, that I want you to, to see. Actually, if you want to underline something, it says, you have obeyed him. You have obeyed him. This is actually back in the first Peter, um, first Peter 2 passage. You have obeyed him. True salvation comes from choosing to obey Christ. It's choosing to accept Christ, choosing to become a follower of Christ. And the, the Bible calls this repentance. It call, it, it's turning. This is your old way of living. It's turning and it's trusting. So if you can write two words on your handout, this is what it means to, be, to obey Christ, to step into the life of forgiveness with Christ, is to turn from your sin. Turn, just write turn. That means stop, try to have a, an attitude of, of change about your sin, and then trust, accept Christ's forgiveness, 
Accept his leadership in your life. Trust him. Step into the life that God's calling you to live. That's how you can get your, your, all your sins, past, present, and future, forgiven. So when, I, when God looks at me because I'm in Christ, because I'm a Christian, he sees Jesus. So when God looks at me, he sees the holiness of Jesus. So I'm holy. If you're a Christian, you can say I'm holy. You can, it sounds a little bit arrogant to say that, but according to the Bible, you're actually a saint. You are, the Bible uses that term, you're saints. You are holy before God. To me, that just blows my mind. And then it uses that phrase, born again. That means you get a brand new start. You get a fresh start in life. And if you haven't been born again, if you haven't ever accepted Christ into your life, there's no better time than right now, the start of a new semester. The first day of school on a new semester is to be born again. Get that fresh start. There's no better time than now to do that. So that leads me to my second point is celebrate what Jesus has done for us by turning from our sin and trusting Christ daily. Even if you're a follower of Christ, you can turn from your sin and you can trust Christ on a daily basis. I do this every day. Every day I sin. I haven't figured out how, to not, how not to do it. So every day when I sin, I ask Jesus to forgive me and to cleanse me. This is not for my salvation. This is because I'm saved. I want to get to know God better. And then, I tr- and then I trust God to forgive me. I actually preach the gospel to myself every day. I turn from my sin and I trust Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, it says, Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, um, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you have received this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Again, I, there's so much in here. I love that phrase, great expectation. I think of the book, Great Expectations. Pipple chap, you know, I think about that. Anyone read that? Um, no, I guess not. You guys, aren't, you guys need to get cultured. We, and then I love this phrase, we have a priceless inheritance. Imagine you found out your uncle that you never met, some uncle, died and left you. You got some email, some person showed up at your door, hey, you need to see this. <laughs> not, a, not some person, some spam thing, on a, not an email. <laughs> um, someone showed up at your door and you're like, hey, you've just been inherited, you just inherited a billion dollars. How would you feel? Bye-bye, ramen noodles, okay? That's how I would feel. I love ramen. Me and Evelyn, my four-year-old daughter, had a ramen party. We love ramen. But anyways, no, no diss on ramen. But what does that mean? Priceless inheritance. That's, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a priceless inheritance. You should be just as stoked as if you got a million dollars, a billion dollars inheritance. Here's the answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I know that our reward in heaven is far greater than anything that this earth could offer. What the reward of following Christ is a priceless inheritance. The Bible does not lie. The Bible does not exaggerate. When the Bible says you have a priceless inheritance, that means that we should be stoked about it. It, it's, it. You can't exaggerate how awesome heaven is going to be. Billy Graham, a guy that just went to be with the Lord, so he really understands what this is about. He says this. He says, the Bible does, does not tell us two important truths, does tell us two important truths about heaven. First, it tells us that heaven is glorious, far more glorious than anything we can ever 
begin to imagine on earth. The most spectacular sunset you've ever witnessed, the most beautiful flower you've ever examined, the most awesome mountain range you'll ever, you ever saw, all these, these will be as nothing compared to heaven's glory. When the apostle John was given a glimpse of heaven, he fell down and worship Billy Graham. I remember um, a while back, I've been teaching my son Owen about heaven. He was four at the time, and we were in Monterey, and we were hunting crabs, catching crabs in the cracks and crevices, and it was just a really fun bonding father-son time, and we were driving back to the little cottage place we were staying in. It was just me and him, and it was just like, you know, one of those moments, you know, and, uh, and he, he was in the back seat, and he said, Dada, are we going to hunt crab in heaven every day? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to be doing, but it's going to be awesome, whatever we do. And, and then he, in a few minutes, moments later, he said, Dada, everything we eat, is it going to be healthy for you? And I said, I know that's for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a little bit later, he said, Dada, is there treasure in heaven, like pirate treasure? And I said, yes, actually. The Bible says that if you serve the Lord, you're going to get treasures in heaven. It may not be like pirate treasure, but there will be treasure. <laughs> he was like, oh, that's awesome. And he said, Dada, you know what the greatest treasure in heaven is? I said, what is it, son? He said, Jesus. Jesus is the greatest treasure, getting to know him. And my four-year-old son, he's seven now. At the time, he didn't know much, but he knew that heaven was something to long for. Heaven was a priceless inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, it says, So be truly glad There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. 1 Peter 1 to 6-7. This part's a little crazy. Remember, this is written to the persecuted church. This is written to people that are getting beaten for Christ. And he's saying, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. I don't rejoice or be truly glad when I'm suffering. I don't have this perspective. I need to get it. But what I've discovered is that as God allows trials in your life, This eternal perspective, this perspective on God and who he is and what he's done, and it actually says in this passage, God tests you just like fire tests gold. So God, there will be trials. It's not a question of if there'll be trials in your life. It's a question of how you're going to walk through them. And so I've been through a lot of trials, and some of them I wouldn't wish on any of you. My wife has some health issues, a really bad back situation. I don't really have time to go into it, but she's basically stuck in her chair 24-7. She, she's stuck. She can get up for about 20 minutes at a time. And this has about been seven years that we've gone through this. And what I want to tell you is it's been hard. It's been very hard to manage life, kids, this, leading this ministry, but it's been worth it. Following Jesus through this season has been worth it. Because it's drawn Christy and I, my wife and I, closer to each other. And I'm really grateful for that. It's also, most importantly, drawn us closer to God and dependent on God. And so for that, I rejoice. For that, because I know God better because of this suffering in my life, I rejoice. And I rejoice that because I've been more or less faithful through it, I know I'm going to get some good rewards (laughs) when I get to heaven. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to that. 
A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. The next thing I see is we need to celebrate when trials come because there are opportunities to grow and gain eternal rewards. When trials come, and they will come, anyone that tells you life, the Christian life is easy, is lying to you. They will come, but they, you have an opportunity to get eternal rewards. I want to close with the last passage of this section. Um, it's something that's really, it's a verse that means a lot to me. It says, you love him even though you, you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. There's a joy in following Jesus that far surpasses any joy that you can have in this life. And I can't, I wish I could explain it to you. It actually is an inexpressible joy. It says it in the verse. It says, it's circle the word inexpressible if you're a circler, okay? Inexpressible. There's something mystical. There's something real about a relationship with Christ that you can grow deeper and deeper. And that's what heaven's going to be about. Heaven's going to be about knowing God on a progressively deeper level. So I want you to think about what your happiest moment that you've ever had. Think about it. What's your happiest moment? Prom. No, hope no, no, not prom. <laughs> think about it. What's your happiest moment you've ever had? I think for me is probably holding my child, holding Evelyn for the first time, my daughter. One moment in God's presence will be more, far more powerful than your greatest moment on earth. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the, the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In your presence, the translation I memorized it in, it says, in your presence is fullness of joy. I want that for every one of you. I want a life that matters for the next life. I want a life that matters for you. And I want, I really want to challenge you. Experience this. Experience the joy that can come from knowing Jesus. I love Jesus so much more than I did this time last year. And it's because he can, he can draw himself closer to you as you pursue him. And so that's what I want for each one of you. Get to know Jesus, and then you'll, you'll start to understand these passages that I'm talking about. So let me challenge you also, if you don't know Christ, your next step is to turn from sin and trust Christ. Join me in praying. Father, we're so grateful for your love and that you've forgiven us, you've cleansed us by your blood, that we can be, get into heaven not by our own merits, but we can be get into heaven because of your forgiveness and what you did on the cross for us. But we wouldn't just settle for a shallow faith, that we would pursue you with everything that we have, that we would have a faith worth living for and worth dying for, that we would be people that invest in eternity, that we would be people that live for something that's going to matter a million years from now, and that we would experience your joy now every day as we pursue you and follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.